Even brighter than the moon. This will be our first episode where I use intro music. Yeah, it will. I will just use one of the free uh, songs that I got, but all the free ones are classical music, which I kind of like. The juxtaposition of the classical with our shitty show. Yes! Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. Oh, send help. Please. We are trapped in our house. It's been two days. Gab. Gab. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I can't take much more of this. You love snuggling show, though. Snow, though. I love... Did you just say snuggling show? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> You're not even drunk yet. I know. I haven't even like processed the drink I've already had. Aww. How many feet of snow is outside your house right now? Just from accumulation, probably like three, three plus feet of snow. But people keep pushing snow into banks, right? Because it's got to go somewhere. There's a pile of snow outside my house that is nearly six feet tall. I haven't seen that much snow since I lived in Idaho. All right. So what oh. are you drinking? Um, I am drinking... I was trying to catch up with you, so I had a nice little glass of cognac while I ate two hot dogs um, <laughs> with barbecue sauce on them, uh, because I'm a classy, classy lady like that. Uh, and now I'm drinking a homemade snake bite. This is the first ever snake bite that I've made at home, and it's pretty fan-fucking-tastic. Um, what, are, what are you drinking, buddy? I know you saw my post on Twitter. I did. I did. Are you still drinking Fireball? Three no, that was just to get the party started. I, then I made a. I just made a screwdriver. Simple and easy. Oh, that is easy. But I made it with... There's a local uh, Russian-owned bazaar near my house. When I went there, I just went and got vodka. And then I was standing in line. And this older Russian gentleman standing in line in front of me looks at me and says, That is all you are buying? And I said, yes. And he said, go ahead. And he let me go in front of him. And then he gestures at the vodka bottle and he goes, you have to respect that. Yes. I was like, this is the best, most Russian encounter of my life. I love it. Right? You have to respect that. Fantastic. You have to respect that. So, anything. Yeah. Did anything happen in women's soccer recently? Today? Today? Uh, Today. Or yesterday? I will pour one out for my homie. Nikki Marshall retired. Yeah. Announced her retirement. Um, kind of got a feeling it was coming. Uh, especially since the Thorns stopped reporting on her about when she got taken out by a turf monster at Providence Park. That's a bit of a bummer. She was a, she was, she was a good one. But that's, that's my personal trauma. Also in retirement news, there was a great article by Colleen Williams from the Washington Spirit who didn't retire by choice but she blew out her knee rehabbed it and then almost immediately blew it out again and was like i can't do it anymore i'm done we'll link it on this show she wrote an article for top drawer soccer it was a really good article and it explained um a lot about the mindset of players who aren't going to make the national team pool who play in the league because they they can't imagine themselves doing anything else 
because they love soccer so much. It's a really bittersweet, heartfelt article, and I really recommend anyone read it. Oh, and the other retirement, which was probably just as devastating for me as Nikki Marshall was for you, was Kelly Smith. Oh, oh, you might have beat me on that one. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, God, way to trump. God damn it. Emotional trauma? Yeah. Right. Like, you're you're the person at the party where I, I'll walk in and I'll be like, oh, man, like... Like, my girlfriend dumped me or something. And you'll be like, oh, well, my puppy died this morning. Yeah. Kelly Smith retired from international soccer recently. She's still going to play for her club team, Arsenal Ladies. And I just want to say that Kelly Smith plays soccer like great artists create. She, She was a consummate number 10. She could... She was a true number 10. She could read the field and situation. She was like two to three steps of everybody else in terms of how she read the field and saw the play developing. And with a single touch, she could just redirect the momentum of a game. She would receive the ball, read the field, and then do something that you you just didn't see on the board, but what she did. It's like watching a grandmaster play chess. Something that your mind just didn't... But her brain took it, you know in passing, analyzed it, and created the best possible outcome. Thanks for all the years, and I, it was my privilege to be able to watch Kelly Smith play for the Boston Breakers in WPS. I will never forget it. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. It would be great if we had some good news to go with all this retirement talk, but we don't. <laughs> we have zero good news. What's the bad news, buddy? We don't let's not be euphemistic about this or beat around the bush. Fucking United States went down two nothing to France and Lorient and it wasn't even like you know, they made a couple mistakes and they got punished for it. It was universally a terrible ninety plus minutes of American soccer. It was a great no, ninety was, plus minutes of French soccer. It was beautiful to watch it if you're a French fan. If you were a French fan and you were at that stadium, you definitely got your money's worth and then some. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was just pain. Like, it was, we were living in a house of, I'm not even mad about the game. Like, I'm, I'm not even disappointed about the game. Like, you know how usually I joke around and I'm like, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. This game was a farce. Are you saying this game transcended human emotion through its sheer awfulness? This game was just... They didn't even show up to try. This game exposed very blatantly a lot of what we've been shouting has been wrong with this team for a long time. So after the game, there hasn't been a lot of media from U.S. soccer themselves. They finally put up highlights of the game. Or the players. Or the players. They've just kind of been like, oh, we're on our way to England now. And it's hard to say whether that's them just kind of trying to sweep it under the rug, being willfully, blissfully ignorant of the situation, or trying to like keep a stiff upper lip about it. But any one of those options is wrong. They've got to address this head on. This is not some new problem. What have we been talking about on this podcast for like a year plus now? Dude, happy anniversary! Oh, yeah, I remembered that. Happy anniversary. (laughs) We had an anniversary last week. We've been bitching about U.S. soccer for a year now. Yeah. recording it. To celebrate, we got a snazzy new logo, courtesy of at Holly Doothy on Twitter. 
Thanks, Holly. Yeah. You're awesome. You might see this logo. I owe you beers. You might see this logo on merchandise at some point in the future. Maybe not the near future, but the future. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps. Yeah, so for a year plus now, we've been talking about what the problem is. For a while under Tom, it was like, okay, there's problems and they're trying to address them. But then Tom got fired. Jill took over and we're like, well, maybe. But then very quickly it became apparent, but no. I know I didn't actually say any complete sentences, but... I was just letting you go with it. Like, I'm over here halfway done with the snake bite already, and I don't think we've been recording for, like, five minutes. So should we break down the actual match? Yeah. Rather than just talk about U.S. soccer and its shortcomings? Yeah. So we'll go first half, second half. First half... Sure. um, We held them to 0-0. What were your impressions of the first half? My impressions of the first half, we, uh, first off, Carly Lloyd was the captain. I thought that was, that was, a an interesting move. Like, not interesting for, like, she shouldn't have been the captain, but the fact that she was the most veteran player out there was kind of an eye-opener, especially for a match like this. So, Captain Carly Lloyd, um, it was very apparent almost from the get-go that we were going to play long ball soccer, uh, to Alex Morgan, which, um is a bit of a problem when you're playing on turf and on really, really hard turf in the cold because the ball bounces a lot. And that was one of the things I noticed right away was France uh, was doing a really good job of making the field a little bit smaller by doing really tight passing, um, really quick, tight passing to each other. Whereas USA, uh, if and when they would ever intercept those tight passes, was looking upfield to hit a sprinting Alex Morgan or a uh, Christian Press um, to to re- you know have a chance on a counterattack, which which is fine and dandy, but that was the only game plan for an attack and- uh, on the U.S. side. Um, Ashton Harris was a bomb uh, in that first half. Uh, she, she was the bomb, I guess I should say, uh, in the first half. As the kids say. A bomb in the second half. I thought it was, it was a hundred percent France. Uh, we had a couple of pretty things, but France had more pretty things and I like pretty things and I'm upset. The thing with hitting Alex Morgan with the long ball, everybody watching that game with me in the bar was like, does she seem a little slow to you? And it's it's only natural. She's coming back from injury, and she's, you know, shaking off the cobwebs. So she's not up to full speed that, like, freakish Alex Morgan speed that we know. Hitting her with a long ball is not the greatest strategy if she's a step off and can't beat the defender, which became but kind she- of rapid. Like, they, they were able to penetrate the back line a couple of times with a through ball or a run through, but not consistently enough to produce, you know, enough threats to produce a goal. They, they weren't doing it consistently enough to find a weakness in the French back line. You know, they weren't, they weren't finding the, the throughways that France was um, with our back line. Like, France was breaking us down. France almost broke Kolopny a couple times, like, with oh their... Uh, Elodie told uh, me, like, nearly <laughs> ended Laurie Kolopny's life out on that field. I was pretty pissed. It was a WWE move, man. Yeah, she got her around the neck more than once, and I'm just oh, like... Oh, absolutely. Especially with Lori's history of head injury, I was really cringing every single time. Yeah, it was just, it was a bit of a shit show. Like, uh, there were a couple times where our back line was uh, doing a piss-poor job of clearing it, 
our midfield wasn't doing a good job of tracking players, and the back line was also not doing a good job of tracking players. The first half, the first half was kind of fun to watch because every once in a while there'd be like a moment of brilliance on both sides. Um, France had a few good shots. Uh, Harris had to come up with some amazing saves. Morgan had that backheel nutmeg thing that probably had, you know, U.S. soccer been more on the ball, could have made like the ESPN whatever, whatever, but whatever. The thing is, the back line, the back line was Becky Sauerbrunn for that whole game. Poor Lori Kolopny got torched that resulted in goals. Klingenberg was not doing great on her side either. She's just, she's so short. She's so short, and she was so bad at marking on the first pull. Yeah, and I feel like Whitney Angen kind of disappeared. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Angen didn't fuck up, but she didn't really do anything. She was just, like, scenery. Which is sad, because I was initially excited for the pairing of Sauerbrunn and Angen. I was like, this could be a nice little center back duo to watch this game it just became becky sauerbrunn having to clean up everyone's mess over and over and over again when she could i mean at least she got budweiser woman of the match for that but jesus christ she can't so clean up everyone's mess and score all the goals too so the midfield was carly lloyd lauren holiday and morgan bryant and kind of tobin heath it seems like we were kind of going back and forth between 4-4-2 and 4-3-3. Although, as we know, Jill Ellis isn't really into rigidly staying in formation. She wants players to be able to move around as needed. But they didn't do it as needed. Like, Carly Lloyd is best centrally, but she was being forced out wide. Holiday should have been subbed at the half, at the very least. She- uh-huh. Everybody has off games, and that was Lauren Holiday's off game. Did she have a successful pass? Like all of her set pieces too. I don't remember a single successful delivery. Like whether it was a free kick or a corner, I don't remember that she did anything particularly well. She took all of our free kicks, and uh, there was the one that Lloyd connected on and got it back to Morgan, and Morgan just skied it. Yeah, I don't recall that Buati... It was a corner kick, I think. I don't recall that Buati was ever really tested. Not the way Ashland was tested that game. Buati did it. She had a solid game. I'm not saying she, did. she didn't make she, good saves. She had a solid game up until, like, the 85th minute or something like that. Yeah, she she did well, which... Of of all the games to suddenly pick to do well and be consistently competent for Buati, she had to pick this one? Come on! Exactly. Like, well, if you want spotlight, man, show up against the U.S. Like, we're... We're used to teams stepping up against us. Like, well, that's that's the thing. And But we're also used to France petering out. We're, we're used to France doing what they did to us and then us figuring out how to fucking turn it around. Like, do you remember uh, three years ago, the, or uh, the Olympics, the opening match? Like, we were down two to nothing against France and came back and won four to, four to two. Yeah, well, the thing with Buhati is she's a little bit like Harris in that she can make big saves, but she can also make big mistakes. She makes she makes bigger mistakes than Ashlyn Harris, too. Like, some series oh, where sure. you're just like, who, what, did she, like, have a little mini stroke on the field? What's going on? But in this game, she was just solid throughout, and it really pissed me off. It sucked. I mean, congratulations, so France fans, but oh, man. So, yeah, the like, first half, oh, I think painful. we were lucky to hold them to 0-0 a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Harris had Harris had one fantastic save. She came out, 
picked up a ball uh, one other time. They just weren't getting a lot of shots on target in general. You know, I, Harris Harris had a great first half. Our midfield couldn't do a thing. We kind of put together a couple of moments. Alex and Kristen Press linked up one or two times in uh, fun and exciting ways. But if your defense is shitting the bed, you better hope your offense can make up for it, and they sure as hell didn't. They they could barely hold possession. Yeah. Like, they could barely give the defense a break to, like, be able to push up the pitch. Um, we relied so heavily on the counterattack. That consisted of, like, three players at the most. And it was just, it, it was just piss poor. Like, it was piss poor p- passing. Um, it was piss poor distribution. Uh, it, we did hardly anything to spread the pitch out. Like, every ball was going into the 18. We, we really lacked having a Heather O'Reilly or a Megan Rapino that are comfortable, like, taking it to the end line, cutting it back, and crossing it in. Like, yeah. How the fuck did France score their two goals? They did exactly that both times. We never did that the entire game. Like, all we did was get it into the box, you know, from the midfield, if at all possible. And only in the, let's see here, what did I write down? The 78th minute? Was there any sort of passing sequence around the box? Well, that brings us into the second half. In the the second half, we saw Kolopny getting subbed out for Krieger. And I think there was just this palpable sigh of relief kind of going through a lot of people. Because... And this is not a slam on Lori Kolopny, because she's not supposed to be back there. She needs to be put in midfield. Well, it's like it's not a slam to say Holiday had a horrible game. No. Play like, the players where they need to be played. Like, right? Like, fuck, dude. If you're going to call Lori Kolopny in, and then just try to, like, jam her wherever you think there's a hole... That's... Give her a pair of keeper gloves. Yeah, that's... How is that efficient coaching? It's not. It's terrible. Um, Jill Ellis is a development coach. She's a youth coach that's okay at developing players. She's good at connecting with players. She's not a good coach once players mature and have figured out where their strengths and weaknesses are on their own. Yeah, and the next subs were Morgan Bryan came off for Abby and Tobin came off for Wonder of Wonders, Amy Rodriguez. <laughs> we didn't have any other forwards. At that point... Like, oh, are you going to stick JJ up, on, up, up top? At that point, you could tell she's just loading the offense to try and force a goal. But when you put Abby in, without service, Abby Abby's effectiveness is reduced to near zero. And there was no service into the box, which comes back to your point about there was absolutely no spreading the pitch, which is where Heather O'Reilly comes in. If you have Abby in, you need someone like Heather O'Reilly. Or right? Megan Rapino. Or Megan Rapino. You know, Tobin's not the type of player that's taking it to the corner and crossing it in. No, she's the kind of player who's taking it to the corner and then losing it in the corner. Right, she's taking it to the corner to draw two players, and then somebody else needs to make a run toward Tobin and, to receive the ball. Yeah, but uh, Abby was just... Carly Lloyd's not a player taking it to the corner. Carly Lloyd's the player who's sneaking her way into the middle so that she can take a shot from outside the box. When they subbed out Morgan Bryan, they asked Kristen Press to drop deeper. And I was like... Why are you doing this to yourselves? Kristen Press is also not a player who's going to be taking it wide and serving it in, or like linking it up through the midfield. If you need someone to drop behind the forwards to orchestrate some goals, you have Carly Lloyd on the field. You have Carly. You Lloyd. have Lauren Hall. And you have Lauren Hall. Like, what is the problem? 
it's it's literally them going we have the equipment we need to solve this problem but we're not going to do that instead we're going to take the completely wrong equipment and try to jam it in and you know wiggle it around and hope for the best name your sex tape it's baffling it's honestly baffling to see like the basic the basic level the fundamental incompetence at play here this is stuff that like that has easy fixes i'm not saying automatically it'll work but I'm saying there has they have to do something different because it's clearly not working. Right. What what we're focusing on though is our inability to score goals. Let's right. can we pivot and talk a little bit about other teams' abilities to score goals on us? Yeah, we can talk about that. Both in terms of what they're attacking and our shite defending. Yeah. Cause I, I think that's fundamental in this issue. Other teams when they talk about we're trying to become more focused on possession and you know, small-sided passing and and working under pressure, they actually mean it. Whenever I hear U.S. soccer talk about it, it just feels like lip service. As we saw, they still rely on either soaking up the pressure and trying to hit him on the counterattack, uh, outlasting teams through fitness, or just long-balling it and desperately hoping either Alex or Abby is up there to, you know, do something inhuman with it. Well, I think it's telling that uh, Saudi actually said the best she saw of the entire match happened after the 75th minute. That's unfortunately when the U.S. comes to live, and it really, really sucks that soccer's a 90-minute game, and we rely on the last 10 to 15 minutes to actually like beat other teams because of our insane fitness. Thanks, Don Scott. Insane fitness shouldn't be the thing that you have to rely on to save your bacon every single time. It should be like a last resort, like a last tool you can whip out in in the event of an emergency. But like there's no excuse for not developing the wide array of other tools that are available to us with all our, you know, funding and resources in terms of not just money, but players and population. Yeah, but that requires uh, good players to actually get through the system. Yeah, that's a topic for a... by exactly. That's that's a completely different topic. Oh yeah, I think I think ultimately, you know, the the fundamental issues with uh, Sunday's game was we did not look prepared at all. Um, there was zero game plan. I mean, your game plan going into a game against France cannot be long ball soccer to Alex Morgan. No, no, it can't. That that can't be a game plan, Paul Riley. <laughs> and this was despite, what, having three weeks of time together in camp? Three weeks in camp and then, like, another week in France. Like, beautiful, beautiful France. Yeah, they've been tweeting smugly about the beautiful weather in France all week, so it's not like they flew in the day before and were jet-lagged. They had yeah. all the time and preparation in the world, and... This is what we got. They they got whooped. Um, they had a horrible performance. Long ball soccer is desperation soccer, and it's desperation soccer, especially when it's on a turf pitch like that. Turf wasn't was a component of the game, and France adapted to it way better than we did, and that wholly concerns me about Canada. Granted, it's going to be warmer. It's it's hopefully they'll adjust and adapt and all that jazz. But oh my God, France looked like a team. France almost looked like a futsal team, like they were playing footy, like futsal teams do, keeping it on the ground, short passes, quick passes, 
you know, creating a smaller pitch on the larger field, uh, not relying on getting it into the air to get it across the field or anything like that. They, they were really owning us um, by, by creating the, the correct angles, whereas we would intercept it and give it right back intercept it maybe connect with one other person give it right back like it was so infuriating to watch the thing about long ball soccer is that it does have its place it can be useful um at the nscaa convention laura harvey gave a talk where she said essentially if you have a, a fullback who can hit a long ball to a forward like if they can do that reliably or accurately then go for it you know that's not a tool you should dismiss just because it's, you know, spoken of like, oh, long ball soccer as opposed to beautiful possession soccer. It's a it's a useful tool, but only if you can execute it correctly. And we clearly couldn't, and so it should have been abandoned. But instead, we tried to rely on it. We're just hammering away with our heads against a brick wall for 90 minutes. So we've iterated lots and lots and lots of problems. What are some solutions? I mean, the obvious one being fire the coach. But the thing is, how much responsibility lies with which coaches? How much is Jill and how much is Tony Gustafson? I have no clue. I, I don't no think firing either. coaches is a viable option. I don't think that's a solution. I don't think, I think it's a solution. I think that, fire, I think, well, you just said, what's the solution? It's It's one possible solution, but I'm not saying it's a good one. Yeah, I think it's a horrible solution. I think I think firing a coach five months before the World Cup is a piss-poor solution. Short of a group of us breaking into Jill Ellis' home and incepting her while she sleeps, we're just going to have to hope and pray that she looks at the game footage and then asks some really hard questions of herself. Well, what I'm wondering is, like, are the players talking to her about this? Okay, this is kind of ties into the game. I think general consensus is that some senior players have a lot more power and control over the direction of this team than they should, which I think <laughs> some was senior players encapsulated in the moment when Abby came on and then took the captain's ban from Carly Lloyd, who was who remained on the field. Like, why did that happen? I think that that's sat... a power. That's a power move. Yeah, I think that sat wrong with a lot of people. I mean, hello, she, she's still she there. Took, she took the captain's armband and then flopped, like, 30 seconds later and got a PK. Yeah, although that was karmically rewarded by being a bad PK that Buwati managed to save. A horrible PK. Horrible. <laughs> and, and Abby's been on, that was basically her first touch. She's a cold player, right? Why wasn't anybody else, anybody else who had been on the field longer, taking that kick? Why not Alex or Carly or even Lauren Holiday? Why didn't anybody else take that penalty kick? Abby should not have taken it. I mean, she shouldn't have gotten the penalty kick in the first place. But it, yeah, so I felt like there were all these little symbolic moments in the game that kind of signaled to us that maybe there's some power resting where it shouldn't. Well, haven't we always known that, though? Yeah. It just, you know, kind of bloomed here, produced fruit, very visible fruit. All right, Never so, meet your heroes, kids. So Never if, meet your heroes. So if you could meet Jill Ellis and just talk to her for an evening over some drinks, what would you tell her in order to help fix the team? I would say, why don't you have tryouts to see what positions players actually want to play? That's a good start. And 
make judgments based off of A, where players are actually trying out to play, and B, who is actually doing well in that position. You know, Shannon Box is with the team over in France. Uh, there's not a lot of faith that she'll actually play um, at any point, but she might be over there to be more of a mentor to Morgan Bryan, to JJ. Morgan Bryan didn't play a defensive role on Sunday. Lauren Holiday was playing that defensive role, and that really surprised slash um, annoyed me because I was like, if Shannon Box made the trip as a mentor, make Morgan Bryan step up and play that position. Like, is Shannon Box mentoring Lauren Holiday? Which makes no sense. Lauren Holiday is a mature, complete player. Absolutely. She, especially like, when she's played uh, I mean, in the correct you position. You can't judge her based off of her performance on Sunday. If I could talk to Jill Ellis, I'd be like, stop playing people out of position. That's number one. And then number two, I would ask, are they really emphasizing possession and movement off the ball in practice? Are they really? Because it, it sure as hell isn't bearing fruit on the field. At this point, I don't want them to be emphasizing uh, movement off the ball. I want them to be emphasizing the basics. Like, learn how to kick to a player wearing the same color uniform as you. That is depressing, bro. Like, that level of bringing it back to basics is what we need. That level? That's really depressing. That was horrible on, on yesterday. That was, that was absolutely horrible. Like, we couldn't put more than two or three passes together for a majority of the match. Which is embarrassing. Absolutely. Last game was probably more embarrassing than any match all of last year. Well, we'll always have Becky Sauer run. So our next game is against England on Friday. 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 I don't think England will be quite as stiff of a test as France, but they're not going to be a slouch either. And what if they? What if they don't? What if they don't improve? That's the thing. If I'm England and I watch that match against France, I'm just going to be drooling to get my mm-hmm. claws into the United States. We are we are wounded and bleeding, and we're limping through the forest, crying. And England is the wolf on our trail. England has an opportunity to do to us what they couldn't do to Germany. Like, how telling is that going to be? Germany, England hyped up that Germany game so freaking much. And it was right at the end of, like, league play and all of this stuff. And the players were hyping it up. And it was supposed to be this big, like, England's hitting the soccer map and all this stuff. And they just petered out and Germany won three nothing they England petered out but Germany also dismantled them with their technical excellence the United States at this point is the dark horse France is not the dark horse we are yeah we have zero technical excellence like we can't even fucking defend a player who's running to the end line in terms of World Cup predictions before the France game I was like you know what we could make semifinals I think we'd be okay now I'm worried that we won't even make it to semis, that we'll have to struggle bus our way to quarters, and then we'll get knocked out by somebody, and it'll be fucking embarrassing. But the other option is, if we, you know, gut it out and make our way to finals and nothing changes, and we just have to wait for certain people to retire before any kind of systemic change can come to the team. I don't know which one I would prefer. One has more long-term benefits, but the other one is way less embarrassing. So... Do you think not having Hope Solo was a factor? Hell no. 
a go- a good goalkeeper can help organize her defenders, but I don't see how better organizing of the defenders is going to prevent Lori Kolopny from getting torched by a player on the wing. It might help close up some of the gaps a little bit if a good goalkeeper's there to yell at you about positioning. So maybe if Hope had been there in terms of organizing the defense, it could have been slightly better, especially on the first goal when Kling got cut out. Maybe if Hope had been there, she could have screamed, you know, get your ass into the right position. Maybe not. I don't think it would have made that much of a difference. There is some analysis on the second goal based on Ashlyn Harris's positioning from uh, Ange in Portland, who just became an assistant coach for the University of Portland. She's the new GK coach, so congratulations, Ange. On Twitter, she kind of gave a brief analysis where she thought that Harris was a little too committed to the near post on that cross, because it was obviously a cross. And she thought maybe she could have dropped back a little deeper into net, because it's always easier to come forward than it is to drop back, as we saw. But really, I mean, based on our defense and our completely lackluster attacking... Even if Hope had been there, best-case scenario, France still would have beat us one nothing. Well, maybe had Hope been there, uh, Abby would have made her PK. I, I don't know, dude. I'm still so mad about that PK. As well you should be. Everything like, that why, led up to why it. Why the hell is Abby taking that PK straight off the bench? Well, everything that led up to it, plus the actual PK itself, is infuriating. It, yeah. should, it should be beneath Abby to do that. It should really be beneath her, and it's not. And that's infuriating. Uh, Something that we haven't talked about yet. Um, Where the fuck is Krieger? Well, once Krieger came in, that her side of the pitch kind of became less of a Wild West free-for-all. She locked it down a little bit more. Well, she locked it down, but what's our liability is, as always, that left side of the pitch. So where is KO? Why isn't Kling working on the left side? Where the fuck is Crystal Dunn? Yeah, why weren't Crystal Dunn or Kelly O'Hara given any time on the wing? Kelly O'Hara's not going to get a chance at Ford anymore for the national team. She Arod has moved up past Kelly O'Hara. Yeah, which is saying something these days. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> Kelly O'Hara, the feeling I get around her is that she's too good of a player to drop, but she's still not getting any time. So it's like, yeah, I can't send her home because she's just too good but I'm not going to use her either, which is bizarre and mystifying and it frustrates and angers me. Well, I think that goes back to playing players in positions that they're good at. I don't know if Kelly O'Hara would volunteer to play at left back. Um, She was amazing at it uh, in that little tournament uh, that we played a while back called the Olympics. Um, I believe she played every single fucking minute of that tournament as left back. And now she has fallen out of favor. It's it's one of those really weird situations where it's like we're trying to force Kolopny into this position that is then moving Megan Klingenberg, who's a favorite of Tony's, over to the right side, pushing Krieger out, who maybe maybe Krieger, maybe Krieger's a winger. Maybe Krieger should uh, become a, a right midfield player. I, I don't. I don't really know. But you know, f- forces uh, the the player that everybody calls the world's best right back forces her on the bench, all so that we can put a goal scoring, really tough central midfielder at left back. The thing is, 
it's a friendly. You've got six subs. And there's still a little time to audition people on the field. So I think, obviously, you're giving Kolopny and Klingenberg looks, right? Because they're not the usual left and right back duo. So then why wouldn't you use a sub on Kelly O'Hara or Crystal Dunn? Like, wh- why? Why no wouldn't you clue. take the opportunity to see either one of them for 30 or 40 minutes? Well, why hasn't JJ played? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? Like, why aren't these players who consistently get called in for camp not getting any minutes on the field in friendlies where they can actually be tested? Like, what is the point of calling in a player if they're not going to be tested Because in a friendly? In a friendly! It's a friendly! Thrace. Thrace. It's all about gelling, and these players just need more time playing together so that they can gel. If they gel any more... They're going to go from jello into an actual solid brick. Like, that's not an excuse that we can use anymore. To summarize, Jill, what, what, what are you doing? Look at your life. Look at your choices. Just let them have fun. And it doesn't look like anybody's having fun anymore. No, we and we look sad and desperate and... Frustrated. Just starving for any little crust we're like Katniss out there waiting for Peta to throw us some burnt loaves we're crying against a tree in the rain just sitting in the girls bathroom in a stall eating lunch alone we're on a teeter-totter with nobody sitting on the other side oh oh, oh, no oh god we're a stray cat sitting on a porch out in the snow crying under a window snow all over our fur just staring into the warm bright windows of a loving home Like, Ellis was a bad decision. But she's a player's coach. Yeah, she's the player's bad decision. Yeah. Like, they did this. That, that is frustrating. That they are the source of this discontent. They are the reason why they are not happy. Did it to themselves. They did it to themselves. I guess all that's left now is to watch Tom Sermani laugh over coffee with Canada. And think wistfully about what we used to have. Like, that was the best team that we're going to play before the World Cup. That's the best team that we're going to play before Sweden. I know. I know. And And the next best team is going to be New Zealand. And oh my fucking Christ, if we don't have our act together by that match, so help me. I see this going one of two ways. One, we win against all these teams who are not necessarily competition for us even on a bad day. Which is not to be rude to those teams, it's just a fact. The other, and if that happens, everyone's gonna try to bury their heads in the sand and be like, see, everything's fine. Everybody has a bad game, it was a fluke, we can do this thing. And that's gonna suck. Because then we're gonna hit the World Cup and we're probably gonna get embarrassed. The other way I see it is, we play all these teams and we either tie or lose. Or we just look terrible against them. Right. Right. And then nothing changes. Because we've been performing Maybe... because we've been performing terribly for months now and nothing has changed. So why would anything change if we perform terribly against these teams, especially so close to the World Cup? No matter what the scenario, I just see us going to the World Cup and getting embarrassed. Maybe this is all smoke and mirrors. Oh, do you think and... Joe Ellis is playing a long con? And then Oh, when, for sure. When we hit the World Cup, suddenly everybody's gonna be bright and skillful. Yeah, why why not, dude? I think I think that's the only solution to this is that Jill Ellis is in she's playing the long game 
And she's just like, all right, guys, we're going to throw every match, throw every single fucking match just so that we can lower expectations, show up at the World Cup and rock it. That's my bold prediction. I mean, at this point, it's a bold prediction to say the United States will make the final. And that's sad. I just don't know. I think I think they'll pull it together. I just think it's going to take a heroic act by the players. Like, the players got themselves in this position. They have to figure out how to get themselves out of this position. I think this team is still going to figure it out because I think that there are enough strong personalities on this team that they can they can do this. They can figure... The only U.S. is losing to themselves at this point. Like, nobody's beating them. France beat them on the scoreboard, but oh my god, they didn't beat, like, the U.S. Women's National Team. They beat a collective group of individuals who couldn't figure out how to get on the same page about anything. I think that's fair. With all due respect to France, who played a brilliant game and were a pleasure to watch, I think that's fair. So, it's not going to make me stop loving the team, but just once you've been burned, you can still love somebody, but... It takes on this careful, watchful quality. Are you talking about the women's national team or the breakers? Wow, dude, that was low. That was low. (laughs) All right. I mean, yeah, once somebody betrays you, you can do your best to reestablish love and trust. But in the back of your mind, you'll always remember. It it takes a truly strong will to completely forgive and forget. And honestly, with this team, I don't think anybody should forget. I'm very much looking forward to the 30 for 30 documentary. A, the 30th for 30 on Hope Solo, but B, the 30 for 30 on the rise and fall of the U.S. Women's National Team. Other teams aren't catching up to us. They're here. They've caught up, and now they're starting to pass us. Yeah, and we're relying on a 33-year-old to get us caught up. They're passing us, and meanwhile, we're still in the minivan, squabbling over the radio, and who touched who and who gets the snacks. We don't even know who's driving the minivan. No, we don't even, like... Somebody just left the keys in the car. Right now, we're coasting. Downhill. Downhill. We're we're at the bottom. We're starting to try to climb uphill again. And without anybody in the driver's seat, it's, it's really fucking hard. So, in the near-ish future, we're going to start to be making a couple moves with this podcast, hopefully. Uh, look out for that. We'll announce it all on our Twitter you know, thank you for listening, especially if you've been listening since the beginning, when this was just me and Gab shooting the shit in a bar in Texas. <laughs> thank you if you were at that bar in Texas and <laughs> you were okay with us being off in a corner all by ourselves and not socializing with the rest of you. We hope to reward your listenership soon in a tangible way. Uh, other than... <laughs> way, to, way to drop some hints, man. Yeah. Gab, what would be your ideal starting eleven against England? Oh boy, this is a fun game. Um, I would, I would, I would like to see Harris in goal again. I would really like to see Engen and Brune again. I would really like to see Kelly O'Hara on the left and Ali Krieger on the right. I would like uh, Heather O'Reilly on the right side. Um, then I would. I'm going to put together a 4-5-1. I'm going to put Morgan Bryan, Lloyd, and Holiday in the middle. Um, But I'm going to make Morgan Bryan stay back. And then I'm going to put 
uh, on the left hand side. Who am I going to put on the left hand side? I mean, do you put Kolopny on the on the wing in midfield? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I put Kolopny on the left side, and then up top, I'd make Baby Horse run it out. I don't think A Rod can do all that much being up there all by herself. And I think Baby Horse at least has a chance to play long ball soccer. I want to start Alyssa Nair, but I'm trying to weigh that against our need to get the most likely number two actual minutes and goal against a quality opponent. So I guess I would agree starting Ashlyn again. Back four, I agree with you, Kelly O'Hara, Winnie Angen, and Becky Sauerbrunn in the center. And on the right, Allie Krieger. In the middle, I kind of want to pit Julie Johnston against Leanne Sanderson. Mm. See, I forget about JJ. Yeah, but she is, you know, a quality DM. Yeah. And she's a, she's more yeah. natural there than Lauren Holiday in any case. And then I think I might have Holiday and Carly kind of working together as attacking mids. No, you know what I would do as an experiment? I would do Heather O'Reilly, Carly Lloyd, and Lauren Holiday sitting in front of JJ and up front. I would try the experiment where I'd either have Alex and Press, or I would try Alex and Tobin Heath. Ooh. Because I don't mind Tobin so much as a forward. And her propensity experiment gets her into a lot less trouble as a forward as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would try. Possibly even Alex and A-Rod. I just want to know who A-Rod plays nice with. Me too. Besides Holiday. Like, who is A-Rod's attacking partner? If she and Holiday can work it out... I think she and Carly Lloyd should be able to as well. One would hope. Amy, Lauren Holiday, and Carly Lloyd have all been playing together long enough that even though they're not on a club team together, you would think there's a certain level of kismet going on between them. Once you play... I mean, they've with... been playing at this level. Yeah, they've been playing at this level for many years now. Like, that's many what's years. so baffling about all of this. This team is a club team. This team is a super club team. This team is better than the Harlem Globetrotters. (laughs) But they play like they only see each other twice a year, and all they're doing is playing pickup. They play like when your dad, who only gets you for holidays and the occasional extended weekend, picks you up and tries to relate with you and ask you about school and your personal life and who you're interested in. And you're like, God, Dad, don't try to pretend to be a father now. You don't know me. You don't know my life. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe they all secretly hate each other. Oh my god, I can't even deal with that. Oh my god, I'm getting heartburn already. This has been another episode of Two Drunk Fans. Signing off in Boston. If any of you has a flamethrower that you're not using at the moment, <laughs> could I please borrow it? I promise you're I'll gonna, refill it and give it back to you. You're going to cause a flood. At this point, a flood would be preferable. Because floods can go down into the sewer system. The snow just sits there and sits there and sits there and sits there and stares at you. Actually, well, after this podcast, I have to go out and shovel some more. <laughs> Make sure to have some more shots of fireball. Oh, it'll, I will. It'll keep me warm. The alcohol and thinking of you will keep me warm while I go out and dig the house out <laughs> from calamity. Oh, my lordy. Oh, my lordy. Keep drinking, buddy. Keep drinking. I am uh, I'm in a rainy Portland. Thinking of you, Nikki Marshall. You you are a beast. I wish I wish you all the best.